0: I hope you guys are excited. I hope you guys are. I hope you guys got enough rest last night. That you're awake. I only heard one yep, but that's okay. And that uh, you're ready to go this morning and learn how to how to take care of these wonderful children that we love so much. Right? And so, um, you know, want to uh, welcome Jennifer back to Huntsville. Welcome welcome back to Huntsville, Alabama um, Like Robert said You were picked up in a green Pickup truck And that's how we roll here in the South <laughs> but, uh, but amen um, you get, I think you're actually gonna uh, We're gonna take you back to your hotel In another pickup truck So that's how, like I said That's how we roll in the South, I suppose But amen um, So being a parent, guys Can be one of the most rewarding things, right? Uh, rewarding experiences of our lives, but but it can also be one of the most challenging and overwhelming experiences of our lives at times, right? And so, whether whether you're a first-time parent or you are you've been in the game for a while. Um, I think this is going to benefit everyone this morning. You um, see, you know, we have nat- natural questions and concerns about parenting, and I think um, today I- I'm I'm looking forward to many of your questions being answered. I'm looking forward to to you know some of the things that are concerning you on your hearts um, that those things will be um, that you will get help for those for those uh, um, things that you're going through. And so that's why we're we're here this morning, right? Is to provide you with the tools and the knowledge that you need to be the best parent that you can be. And I could have Claudette and I couldn't think of anyone better than Jennifer Conzen to come in and help us uh, with this. I think with uh, the marriage retreat, we got so much help, and uh, and so you know with this smaller time frame, woo, get ready because we're gonna she's gonna. She's going to bring it, pack it on for us, right? And so uh, definitely to help us to navigate the ups and downs of, of parenting. So throughout this workshop, she's going to um, share her insights and some strategies um, on a range of parenting topics um, that uh, concern us as well. So let's get started on this exciting parenting journey this morning. Jennifer Condon.
1: Well, how fun to be here! It's like I'm back with my fam! Yes. So, um, what a joy. And and I was just saying, as we were strolling along in the green truck, um, I said, of all the topics uh, that a church might say, hey, can you come help us with, I mean, I've got four kids. This is the one nearest and dearest uh, in a lot of ways. So because this is my picture. <laughs> there they are, my five. So four of them are blood. One is by marriage, which is the picture on the bottom. And uh, actually, I'm going to, they're in Europe right now, but I'm going to see them on Thursday. The two that are married, standing next to each other there, almost to the left. And then the the youngest, second from the right, he's graduating. We're all going to be in Spain. This, uh, yeah, so, so. You know, this is a presentation based oops on the work that I do, but it's very, very, very influenced by my own journey and the scriptures. <laughs> Joseph. What does it say about him? I mean, he's he's like who you want to, your kid to be, right? All kinds of awful things happen to him. His brothers throw him in a pit. He's sold as a slave then they show up, they don't know who he is, and how does he respond? Right? I mean, you see, he's forgiving. If you know the story of Joseph and all that he does in responding to his brothers who have harmed him so huge. He's forgiving. He's loyal. He's a reliable worker, right? Like, he, like, woo! Right? He's really responsible. Like, how do you get a kid to be like that? <laughs> I, want, I want that one. And the cool thing is, is that the Bible is a nonstop. We always say that the Bible is a nonstop story of marriage, but actually it's a non-stop story of family. Right. Um, anytime. If you want to know how to parent, read the scriptures about the spiritual family. Like Paul refers to the spiritual family, the body over and over. Read them. If you want to know how to parent, just go to those, the ones about the church and the relationships in the church. What should we look like as a family? Look at the direction there. Now, the thing is, too, we have lots of bad examples, which we're not, that's a whole separate lesson. We're not going to look at all the bad examples this weekend, but there are lots of just gnarly like, what? Killings and rape and murder and just betrayal and Seat, like the stuff you don't want, right, in your family. And the reality is, sometimes happens in our families where family members horribly hurt family members. That might be your story in your upbringing. It might have already happened among your own children. They're in the Bible, the gnarly examples. I do think the overriding scripture that I think is helpful, and it comes from, well, my attention to it comes from the book, The Age of Opportunity. So I'm going to be referring to The Age of Opportunity. If you haven't read it yet, buy it. I call it the Bible for parenting. It's just, it helps your heart. Like every page, you turn the page and you're like, oh, like it just helps your heart. Is 2 Corinthians 5, that we are called to be messengers of reconciliation. That's really especially, and let me get a feel for this. Uh, How many of you have zero to five in your home? How many of you have five to 12 in your home? How many of you have 12 to 18 in your home? How many of you have over 18? Okay, so we've got the gamut, right? And you, how many have grandchildren? So we've got the gamut of ages right in here, okay? So whatever your role is at whatever age they are, when you keep this as your mindset, I am a messenger of reconciliation. I am an uh, an ambassador for Christ to my child. It changes how you parent. Just if, if if as far as like the theology of parenting, if that's the one piece you take from here on, what's what should guide my spiritual view of how I parent? Be a messenger of reconciliation, chosen by God as a ambassador, right? Seeing the moments of struggle you're having with your kids or grandkids as God-given doors of opportunity for you, for you to be that messenger, right? Um, The goal, Um, this is my goal. You have to choose a goal. I'm just putting it here, is that when they leave our home, somewhere buried in all the mess, there would be an awe of God. That is the prayer I've prayed for my kids since I was carrying them. It's the prayer I still pray for them. Um, that they would be like wow, Right? So there's a lot of things we can want in how we parent. But what is your greatest want? Is it the reliable hardworking look at Joseph going up the field? You know, those are great things, hardworking, reliable. When I ask this question in a small group and I'll say, what are your hopes and dreams for your kids? That's a big one that comes out. I want them to be reliable, a good person in the world. See where in your own mindset is the, I want them to be like, wow, about who God is, right? Making that your goal. The thing is, is that as parents, one of the biggest things that can get in the way is fear. Fear. Um, we are called to trust God. Multiple scriptures here. Abraham was called to trust God in an insane way, right? Mm-hmm. Fear can be can really stop us from walking that road, whatever the journey is with your kids, or it can cause us to walk it in a way that doesn't match who we really want to be as a person. Like either lashing out in anger. Fear can really cause us to withdraw and, and, and to avoid or to confront in ways that just don't match Jesus. And the fears can be that you're just scared for their safety. Like literally, I was on FaceTime with my son that's in um, Spain yesterday. And he said, this is so funny of all timing that I'd be talking about this yesterday, that he and some friends were playing some communication game. And the question was, um, uh, did your parents teach you how to love? Now, these weren't even Christian kids he was with, but this was a question in this packet of things. And he said, and he's sharing all this with me yesterday, and I thought, he goes, Mom, I hope this isn't offensive to you. But he said, I think a lot of things, and this is so challenging, because I was like, I didn't parent out of fear, because I think a lot of things you did were out of fear. So they see my boundary making that I said, no, you can't spend time with certain people. They see that as fear driven. I don't feel that way about it, but I felt like it was good and healthy. But it was an interesting, it was actually really a cool conversation um, because I think it can sway you if you're all afraid versus I think we are called to be wise and have really good boundaries. And we're going to talk about that today. But I don't want to make those choices out of that reactive place, out of anxiety, right? So I want to make a wise decision based on input and trusting in God and being at peace in my heart, right? Um, But the fear for their safety, the fear that maybe you won't love them enough, you didn't get love, and so you so want to make sure they feel loved, that that fear of, am I loving my kid enough, can really kind of sway how we how we are at peace or not with our parenting. Um, if I don't discipline them well enough, they're going to be totally a mess. We're going to talk about that a bit. I call them mother guilts, but I actually would call them parent guilts. Just, I mean, we carry them. All these things we feel guilty about in parenting. You know what it says? Um, and the scripture isn't even in here. It's the is freebie. Isaiah, that... God, making sure I'm so, gently leads. This is Isaiah 30, 11 or 40, 11. Gent- God gently leads those that have young. Look at God's heart about you as a parent. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. I want you to hear this scripture. Hear the words. I, your father, will gently lead you as you are taking care of your young. God gently leads those who have young. You know, I do think even today, we kind of sometimes have to relearn our view of God and how he views you as a parent. He's like, this is, can't you just hear him? He's like, this is hard. And you're like, "Yes," And it doesn't matter if they're two or 22. This is hard. I thought, I raised them all. I'm done, right? Mine are 27, 25, 23, and 21. Ah, gosh, this parenting thing is painful. So it doesn't matter what ages they are, we can feel guilty and worried, right? So learning how to be at peace in God is a big part of it. Um, sometimes our fear can stop us from choosing healthy discipline. Um, if you're the parent who, like, uh, you know, Maybe one of you is like the disciplinarian, the other one's a little more. Let's nurture, which we're going to talk about both today. That fear of disciplining in a way that's not good—that is act—that affected David. David's parenting is not- David is a man after God's own heart, but his parenting is not what we want to. That's a whole other lesson. But we do not want to imitate David. He literally, it says, as far as how he parented his own son, he failed to restrain him. So that means that um, he failed to review. He failed it, um, to darken the light of the eye. So that fear that we have of I don't want to squash my kids by doing too much, whatever is discipline of breaking their spirit, that's a big one. People will say, I don't want to break my kid's spirit, which I think that's, a, <laughs> I don't want you to break your kid's spirit either. But the fear of that can really, you know, be painful or stop us. Also, you're worried about what other people think if your kid does stuff. You know, your kids are not going to make great choices. Like the majority of them are going to do things that you look at and you don't want people to know what they did or what they said. My One of my kids as a teenager was said horrible things. He would use the whole... That's so gay. So he would make um, gay jokes. He was so racially prejudiced. My own kid. And I was like, what did you just say? I don't think like, and you know, it's not only me that's impacting them. It's impacted by his whole society's in. But he's totally, when he became in his 20s, he went back to his Twitter and erased almost everything from his teen years because he was appalled at the stuff he put on there. But during those years, I was appalled. Like, is this kid my kid who's saying these things? I mean, thank you, Jesus, he's changed it. But man, that was awful, right? And so we can sometimes be like fearful of what other people are viewing us, how they're viewing us, Right, If those things come out of your kid's mouth or choices they make, um, sometimes you might be afraid that you'll alienate your kids if you're too firm. Mm -hmm. So see how these, these fears can be so many different directions. It can make you overprotective or underprotective, actually. It can make you lash out in emotion and anger. It can make you overly rigid. So I think we need to recognize our fears so that they're not controlling us. Fear is normal. We have been teaching that fear is a sin. Jesus did rebuke them for their fear. On specific occasions, he didn't say, you sinner, every time they were fearful. Actually, what do the scriptures say? Do not fear for I am with you. So when you have your fears, In your parenting, God goes, right, come here, come here, I am with you. He doesn't say, come on, parents, stop being fearful. You know, he's kind. He's the father of all compassion and the God of all comfort. So he gently leads us that have young. He's not rebuking you for your fear. He rebuked them for their fear because he has been teaching them that he was going to come back. And I still, he was seeing his body didn't believe him. So he reduced them. So there's a place. But most of the time, this is a whole other lesson. On the, You can listen to it. Actually, it's been recorded on Do Not Fear. Um, yeah, it's a whole other lesson. God's kindness towards our fear and God's compassion towards our fear. So we will have fears. You might have fears about the really risky things they might be getting involved in. I mean, just letting them drive. But then what if they drive in circumstances that are literally dangerous, like you find out they were under the influence in some way. You might be really fearful about that their their suicidal behavior becomes action. We we have a conference coming up on October sixth and seventh. It's sorry, guys. It's the women's conference. It's online. Uh, you can see it on Disciples Today, and um, it's called Women Help. It's called Beloved and Dignified: Women Helping Women Who've Gone Through Hell. So it's whatever the hell is honestly um, that you've gone through. And the one of the women who agreed to teach one of the classes, her son committed suicide. Yeah. Every time she shares in our meetings, it's just so, you know, and it's been a bit, and it, I was like, how do you feel about doing this? She goes, I'm ready. And honestly, it would help our family if we could talk openly and honestly about it. Or just, they're depressed, they're angry, they're frustrated, They have my, I have, uh, one of my kids has pretty severe anxiety at times. Like let's talk openly and honestly about it, right? So our fears for their mental health can cause some challenges. Or your fear, fear—we're going to have the lesson this afternoon—is on sexuality. Our fear for their sexual choices. When I teach on sexuality, I let people know you might be taking this class even today. But like the sexuality class, you know that, so that I can help my kids and I can raise them correctly around sexuality, so they won't X, Y, and Z. And I'm unfortunately I'm going to tell you they'll probably most of them will do things sexually that just make your stomach drop and that you'd hoped they would never do because you had your own or you know about and you don't want your kid to end up, right? But most of them will make choices sexually that are really painful. So it's not about, you know, I don't know if you're going to be able to stop some of that. Hopefully some of them, by what we're going to talk about this weekend, will make better choices, but the majority won't at one point or maybe a lot. So it's not necessarily, is it going to stop these things from happening? Maybe not. But what it can do is that what we're talking about this weekend is that you will have a close, connected relationship so that you can talk about it when they go through it. Right? So that they can come to you like God calls us to come to him. So will it stop them from doing things? I don't know. But can we create that close connection so that when they do have these different challenges, they can come to us? Mm -hmm. They might end up using substance use or doing crazy stuff with money. They might end up doing illegal activities. I'm in San Diego. There's a lot of gang activity in San Diego. Um, They might end up being harmed, abused in some way or bullied in some way. You know, what we swore we would, we would hyper vigilantly watch our kids and this would never happen to them. And then it does. So those fears of those high risk behaviors can, um, they can drive us to our knees before God or they can control us in ways that um, really affect how we parent. So hopefully today will help you be aware of that they are going to have different mental health challenges. So let's talk about it. They might engage, if they're teenagers, the brain is still developing, they might engage in really high-risk behaviors. I mean, all of mine sometimes are insane. And i they now, they'll joke, they're all in their 20s, and they'll say, yeah, so mom, when I was a teenager, I? And I'm like, yeah, I never told you because. And I'm like, Okay, thank you for sharing that. I mean, one of my kids, literally, about a month ago, yeah, we used to, I was vigilant on their safety. Yeah, we snuck out at night and wandered, through penny mosquitoes where we live. I'm like, how did you sneak out? And with, ooh, they would leave out the front door at midnight. And go wander the streets. I live in suburbia. I don't even know where they were wandering. But I was like, you what? And that's just the beginning of some of the things they keep telling me. Yeah, I did this. Um, So, they mind. And that's mild. I, my, one of my kids, I said, so have you, have you ever been drunk? And he was like, "Uh uh-huh. I was like, when? He goes, in high school. I was like, in high school? When were you ever even able to be around enough alcohol to get drunk? And he goes, you let me go play video games with one of the guys on a football team. And I called you from the house that I'm here and the parents here. He goes, but we left and partied at the university. And then we came back and he goes, okay, we're done playing. And I, you came and picked me up and he, and I didn't catch it. He's laying in the car from like a team. Right. I mean, I was like, well, how did that even happen? Right. Um, they might engage in eating disorders. I was just with a couple where their daughter is, it's just, that's really scary, those, those high-risk behaviors. Depression is suicidality, substance use anxiety, ADHD is so debilitating. If they have bipolar disorders, the various mood disorders, I'm a, I'm a therapist. These are the things that come in my door regularly. There's a lot that's scary in the preteen and teen years. Mm-hmm and there's things unique. Let me just hit, for those of you, if you're real schoolers, I just want to do a little bit of education here. There are some things that are unique to those teachers. Um, do you guys have middle school, or is it 7th and 8th, or it's um, the mixture? Okay. Those transitions, the way, like there are some schools that go K to 8, right? That, I think, can actually be helpful because those transitions, at 5th and 6th grade, and then into high school, double transitions there, oof. Um, so logistically, I'm sure check and read my stuff, I, I'm sure you can't even read it, um, they end up in a new school, they are separated from their friends often, they've been in one class with, you know, one teacher, and now they're in seven classes with seven different teachers, and they're not with the friends they were used to. Um their assignments aren't, this is what's due tomorrow, this is what's due next month. Right, um, they don't have recess.
0: Who has recess?
1: I mean, maybe they have lunch periods. Right? So, that's huge. Yeah. These changes are huge. Academically, there is a, a parental planning adult when kids' math scores went from here to here. Mm-hmm. Actually, just so you know, in the Specifically in Mexico, the drop in the scores, uh, performance decreases, motivation decreases, because <laughs>
2: they're
1: so much, the pressure can kick in, there's the competition, no, they use competition as a motivation, you know, raise money by who can sell the most Blah blah blah. right? Um, their time management skills because of these long-range assignments that they haven't even developed those skills yet. And now those skills are in demand and you're trying frantically and you're not really good at it, and the teacher's telling them this. There's so much during this transition. There is more discipline for for kids for the first time. So one of my kids, three times, one haircut. Um, what do you call it? Suspended. Three times! Hmm. The third time. They had just come off a suspension. I get a call from the vice principal's office. Mrs. Compton, I have your child here in our office. And I was like, "Mm mm-hmm. They'd set off a fart bomb. They had to evacuate two classrooms. I bought it. I bought park things all through there growing up. Here's so one of them was so bad, so I had hidden it back in a closet to never be used again. And my child discovered it and brought it to school and got suspended. <gasps> and actually got suspended twice for stealing it. Was, oh, that was, a hard, that was a Um. But I have to tell you, I laughed all the way to <laughs> oh, that. Oh, fart bomb! Seriously. <laughs> so, I'm just I just want to let you know if, if you're if you're experiencing that, so is the world. These are hard years socially. They have really firm beliefs about how people view them, and you're trying to talk them out of it, and it doesn't work. So stop doing it. No, 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 honey. Buddy, they don't think that. So, ah, oh, so you're worried they're thinking that. Validate it instead of trying to convince them. Because it won't work if you try it. Um, there might be uh, trying out the dating thing. Um, they might be experiencing going and they're not telling you. So, my one of my kids, when uh, he became a disciple, it wasn't until he became a disciple. We're sitting, having, because we had time together every week, with each of the kids. And we're sitting, having a sandwich together. I I mean, I just think, we actually just talked about it. I just think we were sitting there. He had just led a um, Unity Day group with the other students in his sophomore class. And he said, yeah, I was sharing with them about the bullying experience. And I literally was sitting there in my seat going, the what? And then he shared me face, seven, eight, nine, and it's, it's just what happened to him. Which of course i like, immediately, how can I be wrong with anything? But this is a good call of message, they stopped telling you everything, they used to tell you everything up until they were 10, and all of a sudden they now start, they're just cognitively changing, so they're realizing that they have their own world, and you have your own world, and they're trying to figure out how much to tell people, and it's so hard, but I'm sitting there, and I'm frozen. I remember that feeling of just, what? You right now I'm telling you, I'm just, everything in me, what? And he shared it with me a little bit more, and i was just like, yeah. I, just, I told him, I'm, I'm just i you not
2: Good mom, I'm to It's just heartbreaking,
1: right? So, this is, and he was the popular kid really smart,
0: really athletic.
1: I have no idea, right? He was having lunch in the library. Her voice was having lunch. And, all, and there's so many clips acceptance is just the most important thing. I love this quote, this is from um, I think it's Riera, but um, connected think to actually your second grade book. School and the social Events interrupted by a few classes. I mean, their social life, and so we we can we can mock that, but that's actually developmentally appropriate. Yes, you want them to be a good student, sure, but. They're focused on the social piece in their friends, and if you say, you need to stop worrying about what your friends think, that is a developmentally appropriate fear at that age. Mm-hmm. It's actually a healthy development. What do I do with how people knew me? Their, their brains are literally developing so that they know other people don't think like I do. So that's a metacognition. That's a good thing to develop. But we, we can be we sometimes not funny about it about their fear about what people are thinking about them. It is the time of the lowest self-esteem. Rate. Like if you study child development, so that little school years are the highest time of low of, of, of self-esteem. Rate. So much self-consciousness. And a mom called me. Her daughter wanted. She's 15 and wanted um, another job. And she, and she was just devastated by. It. What she perceived as far as how people were viewing her, right? And she was sure people were viewing her. Next. Uh, the reality is, the mom kept "No, no, no! You're beautiful! You're beautiful! You're beautiful!" Right? Um, we did have some, we had some practical conversations about that. That if they're going to make permanent changes in their body, see if you can have that change. Wait till they're an adult. You know, I gave her some input. She wasn't a client. She was somebody coming and asking my thoughts. Um, she kept her nose. She's now married with kids. She's a beautiful She's beautiful. She's beautiful. But, you know, this is common during those ages, um, male and female. Physically, they're going through puberty, so the hormones are crazy. They've got pimples, and oh, my goodness, the whole pimple thing is so just emotionally hard that you know everybody's staring at your face and they might be saying stuff. Kids can be terrible, right? By the way, I'm gonna send all the. We ha- you guys have all these slides, so we will make sure you have all of them. Um, yes, um, the, the breasts are developing either early or late, like they're either, one client of mine said she got called a zipper, or the opposite. Well, you're developing nicely, like inappropriate body comments. Um, come on, son, you need some muscle there, you know, just stuff about the body and how it goes. Um, and then this whole thing about these years, people will say it in the, in the grade school years to the middle schooler, you better learn this now because next year your middle school teachers are going to expect you to know it. So parents will literally use threatening language. You better get this now so that when you then, and they'll do it in high school. You better get this now because in college you'll be... So we'll use that kind of threatening language to get them to do X, Y, and Z, right? Which, of course, we do that, honestly, as a, (laughs) here's a freebie on evangelists. We use shaming comments to try to get, you know, like, so when's the last time you had a good quiet time? So brothers and sisters, when's the last time you studied the Bible with somebody, right? I actually just did a whole lesson in one of the churches to their staff about, you know, don't be doing that. But the reality is, (laughs) they're like, there it is. But the reality is, so someone leading a church is a parent to that body, right? As parents, we can do that. where We'll use shame-based comments to try to get that kid motivated. So it's not any one person in leadership. Bosses do it, you know. So we really have to. You better do your homework now because next year you're gonna have so much you don't know how to. St- well, that's gonna make them excited about going into middle school, right? And, and you know, um, in the as they continue to develop, it's important to just know intellectually they hit their peak at 16. Their ability to just. Whoosh, now, they get exposed to more in college years and 20s and stuff like that. But as far as what their brain can do, they're at their peak at 16. Mm. But where are they emotionally? So the white matter of the brain, the gray matter is on the outside. Then you have these connectors on the neuron. You have the gray matter is the, this end of the neuron. Then you've got this long strand that's covered by a white strand And then you've got the dendrites that are talking to the rest of the neuron. This white matter that connects this end of the neuron to this end of the neuron doesn't fully develop. So the connections from what am I thinking and feeling to what should I do? The executive functioning of the prefrontal cortex, the connection between rationally thinking and emotional thinking isn't fully developed until about 25 so their intellect is there and you sit down and you have a conversation with them, son, daughter, and they're like, yeah, mm-hmm, I got it. And then minutes later, you're like, did we not have this conversation? And we get frustrated and we think they're lying. There's just, there's just the connectors. They, they get emotionally driven. Boom, all that intellect goes out the window. So I think sometimes it just helps your patience with them to realize they're still growing. So I'm going to patiently walk beside them when they do X, Y, and Z. That's why um, risk taking is so high at those ages. So there's just a lot physically happening with puberty. With um, they'll say you know they need to sleep more, and then but they're getting up at six or seven for school or sports. I mean it's just their sleep patterns are really disrupted. Should you keep electronics away from them as long as possible? Yes. Now, that, you might be well past that, but you can still put all kinds of stuff. You can and should be in control of their electronics so that nothing works after they go in their bedroom. Those electronics, in fact, don't let them take them to their bedroom. The phones were left out in the hallway in our house. They, they couldn't take their phone to the bedroom because phones became a thing when mine were entering high school. And so you can have your phone and we had all kinds of restrictions on the phone, but you can't bring it into your room. You can't bring any electronics into your room. So consider that. That might be you might be like, "Oh my gosh, we'd be in for a rebellion." I don't know what you need to do, but you if they're older and already in these patterns, then sit down and show them the research. Go look it up. Electronics at night not good for you in any way, your sleep cycles in any of it. So if you haven't started those years yet, then start that pattern now. This is just how we do it in our house, including mom and dad. Do you? Okay, there's a picture I use it in my marriage workshop sometimes of the married couple. They're both sitting propped up in their pillows and they're both on their phone. Right? What are you like in bed? So really consider if you're going to say this to your kids, then you'd have to live by it, right? So this brain development is a thing. They're just learning as they come into uh, high school years, abstract reasoning where they can't make a hypothesis about something they don't know about. Um, So this is really important when it comes to spiritual development. The idea of heaven and eternal consequences, they're just coming into that understanding in the teen years. So the ability to know that I'm thinking one thing and you're thinking another and I'm thinking about my thinking. So I thought this thought, but how do I actually feel about the way that I just thought that? That's called metacognition. That's developing during the teen years. Um, But that abstract thinking is still, remember all those pieces are still connecting. So you might think you're getting through and, right, it might be 10 years before they get it. That prefrontal cortex. Those, the, the plasticity of the brain is crazy during the adolescent years. Do, do these formative years lay lay certain foundations to the way they think? Yes, they do. The stuff they were exposed to at four and five is deeply embedded. Um, stuff they're exposed to at 14, 15 is deeply embedded for life. It is true. But there's also this crazy plasticity going on. Neural path, new neural pathways every day from the brain development specialists who have studied it. So there's this mixture of once exposed, they're exposed and this constant ability to grow and change. So important to kind of know that as your, your worry comes up socially, they need to have more and more autonomy and to become more and more independent from you. Parents are usually really worried. My child who used to talk to me is no longer talking to me. So that's not uncommon. Their ability, it's important that they, like, even when it comes to discipline, Having them be a part of choosing the discipline. Like literally, let's say they did something and it's atrocious and you have some ideas of how you're going to sit down with them and just say, well, like making them a part of the big choices in life. Uh, If, uh, you know, even with like moving, I had parents who they were trying to decide, they were in the ministry trying to decide if they should move or not. And I said, well, how old are your kids? Late teenage years. I would say, they're not the final say, but they should be a part of the whole process. So making sure that their autonomy is is a positive thing for you, that you're seeing it as a positive thing. They don't like you for a while. Their perceptions of you as parents, and they they start to disagree pretty strongly all the way through the 20s. It's usually not until the 30s that they look at you and go, oh, actually that was probably a little challenging for you you might have noticed it yourself you might have had really painful parenting stuff happen to you in, in your upbringing and then you hit your 30s and you might be able to have a little bit more compassion for why mom was like that and why dad was like that so it's typically about the 30s when people start having their own kids that they start having a little bit even if, even if mom and dad were like, wrong and abusive and doing really bad things so they'll, they're they going to come, they're going to be, a, even if you're the perfect parent, they're going to like fight you. Not every kid, but the majority. It's actually a developmental process to say, I don't agree with my parents. It's painful for me because of all the ways that we would raise them to love Jesus and follow Jesus. And then they'll disagree with like basic tenets that I think are foundational to life. You know, I have to, I have to keep reminding myself they're in their 20s. They're in their 20s. They're in their 20s. You know, the seeds I've planted will grow, right? They will be more, their friends are going to be more important to them, and actually that's healthy. I'm going to talk a lot about how to stay connected to them. They're going to be experimenting a ton. So socially. So just to really kind of, oh, this is so small, just to see the difference between these different parts of life. There's, there's, in the they go from developing their identity to having a more established identity through the teen years especially in the college they go from being awkward in in their bodies to having a more this is just how my body is so it's a process they go from being more worried about peer influence to having a more balanced letting you influence them as they mature. They go from um, I have to go look at my own words. They go from complaining about you to letting you influence them. Especially the uh, under- <laughs> 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 They know <they're> so- <laughs> they
2: might have a few years ahead of <laughs> you.
1: They offer <go> <laughs> all of their to be able to go and it. Right? They stop infection. I've really Not every kid. They'll stop. They're trying to figure out their economy, right? So they might not be a infection. And then they start cooking them again. I noticed that, especially with puppies. You know, they went from, uh, not too many more to the mouth, no, they're not cool anymore to now um, they're, they're normal so self that they
2: aren't
1: going to they're going through to this growing ability to talk about it. You might have one of those kids that's told to go to people making it an unhealthy way, and they're on the common main differentiation of So they're very proud of focus, the and they're not
0: interested in not thinking their
1: long-term stuff, so because their capacity is long-term. You're like, you need to understand this, if you don't get it, I need to it! They actually they're like oh, 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 And I just want to the reason why I emphasize all these things is like, oh, think that this, this is normal it's called normal development mm-hmm. It's not necessarily you might still need to take certain measures in this one but right? well, the reason why this is important talk about it is we can put it in this is my tip and not just saying it's normal. This is common
0: this, 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 well is that sometimes they do the wrong thing.
1: And they're like, so? And it breaks your heart. But remember, this ability to really understand the impact on others isn't really there fully yet. And maybe a while before it is. So again, stepping back and going, okay. This is a part of their development. And I am going to pray that God leads me through these chunk years and that I'm not in my reactivity to it, to it, attacking them. Okay. So the thing you want to really remember, so looking at this lovely tree, is that we can often focus on what they do, their actions and their behaviors. But what you really want is to focus on the fruits. Why? So if they go get drunk, is it because they're just being rebellious? I'm going to drink. I don't care what my parents say. Or were they feeling influenced by their peers and so they felt fearful? Or were they just being selfish and not cons- like what's underneath it? We can say, well, my child's defiant right now. They're yelling back at me. It might be because they're afraid, not rebellious. Mm. So just pay attention to them. We will interpret what we think's going on inside their heart by looking at their actions and their behaviors. But sometimes I had one kid that would do horrendous things and when confronted with it would do this total flat thing. And I knew how it looked. And it looked like this rebellious attitude. This was total shut down fear. This parent's talking to me with power, and I'm just shut down. But it looked like this, you know, arrogant, remorseless face. So just, just put that thought there. Pause. Slow down. What they look like? There's a lot more going on underneath. So pay, your goal is to pay attention to the heart. Not just the behaviors. So perhaps, so this is from Age of Opportunity, instead of just surviving these years, maybe there's some ways that we can talk about enjoyment. You know, not just having this, oh my gosh, I just need to get through the teen years. Right? Maybe we should reject that cynical view. Actually, those years of amazing conversation. Like conversations what is weren't able to have it get. right? That see the problems that are coming up as opportunities mm. to actually inter- help them internalize things to make connections they might not. So those great opportunities that they'll then forget in five seconds, oh you know, that they might come back to. So let's talk about something. Let's talk about you as a parent. What is some of the things that are important for you? Look at this in Thessalonians. For you know that we... Remember, anything speaking about spiritual family is about your physical family as well. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. So how should a father... So you dads out there, how should you deal with your kids? Encouraging... Comforting and urging To live lives worthy of God Who calls you into his kingdom of glory So we tend Notice this, these words sound feminine We tend to think of females As being the ones who should comfort And nurture And encourage But that's actually not what this scripture said That's the role of the father We have kind of messed this gender thing Up a bit this is a dad. This is a mom. Like, what the heck? <laughs> we are all called to be like God, our Father. And what is he like? He's both mother and father when you look at it biblically. So let me ask you this. And I want you to examine how you're doing as a parent today. Are you plugged into a safe community? Are you open with the fears you have, with the frustrations you have? Do you have safe people around you that you can talk to about stuff? I mean, when my kids did some of these dangerous things, there were people that I could tell because they were like, ah, that's so hard, Jennifer. And then I told somebody, a rather prominent individual, um, who I, who does done a lot of parenting workshops, and I told them, and they literally got like this. I, wow, um, I, I don't know. And I thought, you're, you're like, what, right? We do need to find those safe people that go, I'm so sorry, let's talk about it, let's pray about it, what do you need? You know, finding safe community. We, family should be and can be a learning community, meaning how are you doing learning from your kids? So I have been on this journey of learning um, how to do Sabbath because my kid said to me, mom, Do you believe in Sabbath and do you practice it? He said it three, four years ago. And it started me on, I've been kind of hearing this idea and I need to explore it. I don't think it's a command, but I actually think God wants us to do it and I'm a hypocrite. That was literally my response by text when he asked me. And it started me. Another one of my kids, have you read Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, Mom? And I was like, I think I've heard of it. He goes, you would love this. So I went and got it, and now I'm telling everybody. Like the, the the reciprocal learning, especially as they are growing spiritually and otherwise. Um, how are you doing in being connected to other deep, meaningful? Do you, If you want your kids to accept your influence and your authority, do they see you under authority? Do they see you accepting influence? If you want them to listen to you, do they see you listening to others? So, I still regret this one, but one of my kids, they wanted to watch this movie that I really didn't approve of um, because of the content, and I said, no, he was in high school, and um, he came to me, and I just loved the interaction we had, and he said, can you ask advice about whether I could have-? I was like, No. <laughs> okay and so I did I called the women in my life and they were like yeah no that's not a good idea so I said no son actually before I said no son um, the women both called me back and said actually I spoke to my husband and this is what they said and I was like I don't agree with that <laughs> so I I prayed I made a decision I actually still feel like it was the wrong decision actually as far as what to expose him to but I think the process like that is what was more important, that he knew he could influence me, that I had people in my life to correct me, and he watched me be corrected, right? I still think it was not a good idea. Um, do you allow, do you get offended at what the teachers and coaches tell you about your kid? Now, you should be their greatest fan. There were times where I had a teacher who said a horrible thing about one of my kids. And I went, oh, <laughs> and we met with the counselors, the vice principal. This is unacceptable. So we need to advocate for our kids. But at the same time, those other people in their lives are... I had a janitor sit down next to me. He goes, oh, you're so-and-so's mom. I am. Oh, yeah, they're awesome. I didn't know and tell me... I'm like, that's so cool. Wow. You know, that's amazing even with my kid. Yeah. You might want to know also. (laughs) I learned so much from that janitor. So learning from their coaches about what they see in their character. I mean I kind of think I over took some of those things and became, again, because of our fear of what people think, I sometimes dealt with that in ways that I look back and go, I probably should have advocated more and believed in my kid more. I, I so wanted them to make good and right choices. So I would say I erred too much on that end. But the reality is, are you humble to their insight or do you do you get personally offended by that they're questioning your parenting, right? So how is your, how is it, do they see you whining and complaining about, say, authorities even at church or about your bosses or about some other authority figure in your life? So consider that. I literally, I had a mom I was working with and she got pulled over by a cop and she just went off and off and off. She was seated. She got pulled over. And to her kids. I was sitting with somebody just a month ago who just was going off about their disagreements in front of their kids about some church leadership. This was in another congregation, not San Diego, and they were going off about, you know, the decisions in a leader in a church they'd been a part of. And I was like, Bring your kids, like you want to really consider the the example that you're setting. So what's, how's your power of learning? What's, how's your example going? Do they see you as a learner? What if, there's a lot of scriptures on being a learner. Uh, teach the younger women to love their husbands and children. So the way that the scriptures are written, by the way, they'll refer to a certain gender. This is important to know, especially when it's a male gender, but it means everybody. This is specific to women, but take it as it is. Teach the younger parents to love their spouses and their children. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Hebrews, we're called to imitate their way of faith. So do they see you imitating someone's faith? How is your own need to be taught, right? We teach about Matthew 28. Teach them to obey. Do your children see you being taught to obey? Do they, Proverbs 11, many advisors make victory sure. Second Corinthians 6, open wide your hearts to others. Are you shut off from other people? That's going to impact your parenting. I love 1 John 1. When we come into the light we the fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus washes us. Are we living in the light? So just some basics on being a learner. And then really consider, I love this phrase. This is not my God. God is saying this. Be the change you wish to see in the world. So shift that. Be the change you wish to see in your church. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Right? Be that example. I love it. When I was your age, we didn't have email. Of course, they would say social media. Now, we didn't have social media. If you wanted to say something nasty to somebody, you had to do it to their face. You know, what's, what's our example? Right? The nature... That includes your marital relationship. People take classes for parenting and they're just hoping to really improve their parenting. The biggest place you can actually start is your marital relationship. Obviously, we just had a marriage retreat, so hopefully. But how do you, in your marital relationship, do with conflict resolution? If it's not going well, go get help till it does. If you wanna help your kids with how to resolve conflict well, go figure it out for you. Whatever that means. Maybe you're harsh, maybe you don't listen. Maybe you're an avoider. Maybe you get shut down and you don't talk. Like whatever your patterns are in your marriage, go get help with those patterns because they will show up and probably already are showing up in your kids. It's interesting, now that I'm in my 50s, my mother was an avoider. I've never thought I was an avoider, ever. I'm a pretty, here I am. But when I get hurt, I go to, I'm a good disciple. Let me learn. And I don't always go, hey, this was painful. Right? And that can be damaging. So whatever your patterns are, discover them. Um, Dealing with arguments between them is going to be your kids because, oh my gosh, right? You want them to love each other. Let me just give you a little teeny practical. We're going to do a lot more practicals, but don't get hooked. (laughs) That's nice. Yeah, right. How do we not get hooked? The next time they come at you or they come at each other, breathe for 10 seconds. Wait for 10 seconds. Then you can jump into the fray, but slow it down long enough to just, like do it with me, breathe in your nose and out your mouth. You can hear them, they're yelling at each other, or they just said something super disrespectful to you, something. Breathe in your nose. And out your mouth. They're gonna see you panting and go, oh no. No. Slow it down, give it at least, if this is one piece as far as practical that you take away, slow it down for 10 seconds, right? And sometimes they come, hey mom, Hey dad. I want to ask you about and then you give them the input and they're like, "No, that won't work." And they act like they want to know and you're like, "Why did you ask me?" Most of the time they don't want to know. So, this is on another slide, but I'll explain I'll explain it now. Don't answer them. Mom, dad, I want to know. Da, da, da. Oh, that is so I'm going to give you four things to do. Oh, that is such a good question. Yeah, You're looking for connection, not to answer their question. Connection. Well, what do you think I should? Well, what have you thought so far? Well, I did. so what do you think I should? That's so cool that you reasoned through it that way. Are you hearing like what you should do from others as well? Yeah, so and so thinks and so and so says. What do you think I should? If they ask you four times, then give them your thoughts. But wait, four times. Don't because most of the time they don't really want to know. They just want to talk to you about it, and you have an opportunity by just saying, "Tell me what you're thinking." You're going to be more connected. So slow it down. Don't get offended when they refuse your advice. You probably gave it too soon. That's probably your mistake. There is a way to ask and to disagree that's respectful. You should expect them to have respectful tones, right? But they also, remember, developmentally, they want to debate. And that's actually healthy. So there might be times where you blow it. And this is huge in that conflict with them, if you blow it, one of the most powerful things you can do is apologize. Go to them and say, I did this and I shouldn't have. I said this and I shouldn't have. My tone and my attitude was this and it was just unacceptable. Yeah. But honestly, the, the, these teen years can bring out the worst in you, the worst in me, the worst in us, where we say and do things we thought we would, not and then we're like, so I, um, my, um, I, I, my father was, was not a good dad and did some things that were just painful. One of them was actually, I was just telling somebody, yeah, this is a big one. He told my sister, if you're going to eat like a pig, I'm going to make you eat like a pig. And put the plate on the floor and made her put her hands behind the back. Right. So emotional abuse. Mine closest, that was, and I watched that. My closest was, we're sitting at the dinner table, I'm talking, la, 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 la. and my dad goes, so talking like this, a little bit quieter to my mom. La, la, la. And he goes, I'm whispering to my mom. And he does it again, and my mom goes, done! But I remember that, right? So I'm at dinner, married a couple years, we're with friends, and I'm talking, la, la, la. and my husband goes, and like, it was like I didn't know what it was from. So we're driving home in the car, and I'm like, um, I think I think it's important I share something with you. We had a great talk. So now, I'm like, years later, I've got a teenage daughter, we're at an event, and she's da-da-da-da-da-da, and I go, and I was like, the hand! It came out! We do things that we swore we would never do, that our parents did to us. So be humble and apologize. Get some help. (laughs) We know from research that kids who do the best are those who have parents who are willing to see the things they mess up and are willing to change them. Gottman, uh, the researcher out of uh, Seattle, he's a therapist, he calls it accepting influence. Right? The ability to, again, this kind of goes to some of the earlier slides, like our ability to be humble before our kids you're still supposed to be the authority figure, and you should be. But look at Jesus. What was he like as an authority figure? I didn't come to be served, but to serve. He he submitted himself. There is appropriate submission, accepting influence from your kids. And actually, if you do it well, will be hugely important to your relationship. So Why? If you're disrespectful to each other as a couple, what would it be like to go tell your kid how I just spoke to your mom, to your dad? That's not okay. Like, apologize to them for your poor example. Um, If you are going to correct your kid on something wrong they did, go correct yourself first on how you maybe responded initially. I love... um, Yeah, so... What can happen is when you forget what you've been forgiven of, it can make you say things. You're not coming from a place of humility. If you remember what you've done, maybe the sexual mistakes you made, then when they make that mistake, you're just going to come in a different way. The ways that you sinned or are sinning, maybe you're struggling at work. Tell them. People ask me, what's age appropriate sharing? By the time they're hitting the teen years, there's, Very little that you can, I I get parents ask me all the time, should I share this with my kid? At that age, especially the later teen years, they're developmentally, it's a healthy thing to start being quite open with your own challenges. I won't say every detail, but with this is who I am and this is what I struggle with. um, The book Age of Opportunity Trip actually goes over five different idols that parents need to be aware of. The idol of comfort. I have finally sat in this chair after working hard all day and you come in and you guys are going to argue I'm finally relaxing and you guys have to what's that? that's an idol of comfort I'm worshipping my comfort and you are messing it up they dare to be disrespectful to you I don't think disrespect is a good thing And it needs to not be there. And you need to talk about it. And if you need to discipline it, we'll talk about that too. But when they're disrespectful, don't you? You can tell. You can feel it in your body. Don't you ever. That's an idol, meaning you're worshiping. You're supposed to respect me. Can you imagine Jesus saying that? You'd better respect me. Yeah. Yeah. Never. Now, did he challenge them? Heck yeah. yeah. But not out of this self-righteous you're supposed to place. Right? He did it because of the glory of God is being challenged. Um, you'd better you don't appreciate it. Do you you know how hard I work I walked up both hill both ways in the snow. I work hard all day and you are on your video games. You walk in, you're exhausted and you see them being lazy and they didn't do their chore and you rip it, right? That's the idol of you don't appreciate what, how hard I work. So recognize your idols, control success, whatever they are, go read the book. Honestly, like I tell you, every page. Oh! Oh! Right? Let it be your, your guide to repenting of sin. So you have some power in, in repentance. First Peter 2 says, repent of our own lack of respect. Well, it says um, we are to respect one another. That's what it says in First Peter 2. Who does that apply to? You and any other person. If you're actually disrespectful to your own kid, go repent of it. If you're disrespectful to another kid in the family or to another family member or to your spouse. So Matthew 7 does this great thing about, right? Deal with the plank in your eye before you take the speck out of those. That also applies to your parenting. All right? So repentance is powerful. God... In Luke six thirty five, it says God is kind to who? To the wicked and the ungrateful. Are your kids ungrateful? Have you ever thought I'm going to be kind right now? No. no. So we're at Disneyland. They're a little bit younger. They're like grade school, and we've just spent three days there. We stayed in a hotel. We three lots. So much fun. When we were traveling, often if we did, we always did the dollar menu when it was a dollar menu at McDonald's. Well, when we're traveling, we would maybe let them get like a meal. So we're just at this three day trip. We've spent a lot of money. We've had a ton of fun. We're leaving. We go to McDonald's and they're like, We want to get a meal. Like, No, this is dollar menu time. We we never get a meal. I tell you, I was like, We've just spent three days at Disneyland. And you're Complain about that dollar menu. <laughs> Kindness to their ungratefulness was not on my mind, right? When they are ungrateful, it can really be a trigger for you. And you know what? They might be being ungrateful. You worked hard on this meal and they complain about the food. Um, grandma and grandpa are coming to visit and they're so ungrateful for grandpa. Whatever it is for you, for something else. When they're ungrateful, consider the fact, am I being like God? I know, right? Help me! You are a sinner, so don't be surprised when they are. Right? Okay, so how do you start this road? I have kind of pointed out some of the big challenges and the problems. One of the biggest things that I hope you take away from this part of the classes that we're doing is um, that you would spend time with your kids. So this section is called The Power of Time. Um, The two books I always mention are The Age of Opportunity. And it's so funny because I don't have these in the slides. And that's by um, Tripp, T-R-I-P-P, David Tripp. And then... Staying Connected to Your Teenager by Riera. He's an M-D-R-I-E-R-A. And um, I love the title, Staying Connected to Your Teenager. I'm going to go over some of his stuff as we go. Proverbs 20, verse 5. The purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. Yeah. Honestly, some of us aren't good at this part. This is not naturally I have become this. I'm a therapist, so hopefully I've become this. Honestly, becoming a therapist was one of the best things that happened to my parenting. Becoming a disciple and following Jesus is the number one. But I would say, honestly, <laughs> therapy helped me. Disciple people, be a parent. Cause I just don't I'm not naturally a drawer out. I'm a fixer. Let me tell you what the Bible says. I love my Bible and I believe in obedience to Jesus. So, drawing out, yeah, no, I don't really care what you're feeling and thinking, just do what it says. Is my go to, is my go to, right? Thank you, Jesus. And one of the main things that's so important about drawing them out is sometimes we don't know our kids very well, and we don't like them very much, especially when they do stuff that you're like, I don't like this person. And how they, like I told you, when my kid was saying things that were just appalling to me, I didn't like him. I wasn't attracted to his personality. And because there were really wrong things he was doing, but also I had to work on me. I love this quote. This is by Levine, which is a, works in the field of therapy. A sense of lovability is at the core of all healthy development. Your kid feeling like you look at them and grin. You might not be feeling like that about them right now. So we're going to talk about how to work on it. And actually the power of time with them is one of the biggest ways to work on it. I would actually say not just lovability, but likability. Because we will often say, I do love you. But do you like them? Do you smile? So the Bible says that God takes delight in us. If that's being challenged right now, which I have to say, I do love all four of my kids, but I had to work really hard at the liking them at good chunks of these years. <clears> okay, <throat> well, yeah, but that's really nice, but how do we, how do, we do it? <laughs> well, um, there are simple ways. I'm just going to share with you some of the ones I've done. So once or twice a year, I went away with each kid by themselves to a hotel. Now we also did that as a couple, but the hotel getaways with them were just. Honestly, I have to tell you the truth. It helped me during those years when they were in trouble a lot, like the one who got suspended three times. I, I actually got some really good input when they were younger. Someone said to me, "Don't lower your discipline up your fun." So I didn't change that the, the discipline needed to happen because it wasn't okay. far from and all. Um, but the reality is I then started to really make sure we were laughing and playing, not during when they were on restriction, but at the right and appropriate times because my heart needed it. My heart needed it both in repairing the relationship, but also in just really, finding things I liked about each of them. So how is just, okay, that's big ones. Go away with them. But even just daily life, funny things. So these are some of the things that we did. Um, this was when they're younger. You, you guys do have younger kids. Um, when they were learning to tell time, I woke them all up at midnight. I said, look, it's midnight. And we went to Denny's. Because it was the only one that was open at midnight. So they all remember going to Denny's and learning about midnight. Um, every, they had this sign uh, at the YMCA that said you had to be 14 before you could get in the jacuzzi. And they were going, Mom, I live 15!" 14. I'm like, no, the sign says you have to be 14. So, nope. The day they all turned 14, I took them to the YMCA and we got in the jacuzzi. You know, like, if you're going to teach the rule, then have some fun, too. <laughs> um uh New Year's Day, we would have the party New Year's night, which was always fun with friends and family and playing games. And then New Year's Day, we so I grew up, we had um, party dinners. My parent, my mother would put together a party dinner. So on New Year's Day, we would gather all the weird foods in the freezer that hadn't been touched or whatever, and we'd have a party platters just for the family. Um, sometimes, so we spent time alone with each kid every week. Um and so sometimes though life was hard, I, st- I went back to school when my youngest was in kindergarten. So I was a full-time, I was working and I was a full-time doctoral student during their middle school and high school years. So sometimes life was a bit challenging time-wise and so I couldn't take them somewhere. So what I would do, so they would get ready for bed, brush their teeth and they'd be in bed, lights off and I'd come in and they'd, get away, so they'd go, they ah, oh. ah. And I'd come in with my bowl of popcorn and my deck of cards and a flashlight, and we'd play cards and eat popcorn, and I didn't make them brush their teeth afterwards. Yeah. So, you know, just when it couldn't happen this way, there's ways we can do it, right? Actually, when I, when I taught this class um, at the, at the um, I taught this class in our school district, and one of the women, so we had um, a couple that were a lesbian couple in our neighborhood, And she was on the PTA and she um, came up to me and she said, I can't tell you how helpful this class was. They had two kids. We had had pizza. She was in charge of the meeting and we had pizza at the meeting. And she took the leftover pizza and went in that night and ate pizza with her kid in their bed. And I was like, that's so cool. You don't know how you're going to share your faith. I shared my faith. I didn't share scriptures at that. It was a community meeting. Um, But I shared my faith and somebody put it into practice, right? Um, If they ever noticed 7-Eleven would happen, mom, is 7-Eleven. And we'd go to 7-Eleven, 7-Eleven, get a slurpee most of the time. So whatever your connecting weird, funny moments are, maybe you need help finding them. Go steal mine. I don't care. You know, um, bring joy back into your parenting, right? Spend fun time with them. It just, it it helps your own energy levels. It recharges your battery. Uh, Riera does this really cool thing where he talks about his teenager who wanted a car. And he was like, no, you're not getting a car. You don't have any money. You don't have to take care of a car. And she kept pushing and pushing and pushing for wanting a car. So he's like, okay. So they go get an auto trader. You can tell how long that was. They go get an auto trader. And um, they find one. He takes her there, and it's this total fixer-upper, like it's going to need tons of work. He knows nothing about cars. And she goes, we can't get that car, in. And he goes, I know, I don't. She goes, you don't know anything about cars. I know. We're going to learn it together. So so he went into an uncomfortable place to connect with her, right? They. He talked about how the years, years, of learning how to remodel this car... We're so connecting, right? So he calls it shared disequilibrium, where you're both kind of, I don't know, go do it together. Put yourself, what is something that they want to do? My kids loved video games. I swore when they were little, I was going to learn them with them and play with them to be the cool mom. And my sister-in-law is. She's the cool mom who plays video games with the kids. I hate video games. But... When they were in their, like, especially their senior years, they had a lighter schedule and they'd be playing their video games. I ate my lunch and I was in my doctoral program and did my, I sat next to them doing my work. And every now and then I'd say, so where are you now? And what is this? And guess what would happen? Somewhere along there would be, hey, I have a question for you. Put yourself in their spaces and you'd be shocked what they'll do. What, what they'll open up to you about, right? Shared disequilibrium. And of course, laughing together. I love this quote. Laughter is the shortest distance between two people. Laugh with your kids. The quickest way for a parent to get a child's attention is to sit down and look comfortable. Isn't it true? You're finally, and they're like, hey, 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 hey. And then that idol of comfort can come in, so consider right okay the power of time pursue your child they will tell you um i don't want to spend time no i want to spend they'll tell they'll act like they don't want to spend time with you but they wouldn't mind a burger so go get a burger they wouldn't mind you buying something some clothes item so go do it with them they probably wouldn't mind that movie I had someone tell me that their kid loves um, wrestling and this parent is like, and they took their kid to a wrestling um, thingy that came to town. So you'd be surprised what they will say yes to. Now ours, we just grew up, we did dates every week, but you have to be aware that when they're hitting those teen years, so we were out to the movies as a family And then my son and I were gonna go on a date. We called them dates. He was 15 at the time, 14, 14. And we were gonna go, he and I, on a date after the movie, right? So we're standing outside the movie theater. There's lots of people milling around. And I'm like, hey, 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 we gotta go on our date. I didn't realize that all of his friends are also standing there. He was like, "Mm -hmm. I'm going on a date with my mom. Right, so just be aware, be socially aware. You know, <laughs> I call it the, the the rule of 20 feet. You know, stay about 20 feet away from them when you're in the mall. Um, but get away, go away, go have those times with them. We do know that the research shows actually that attachment to parents does mediate their anxiety symptoms. This was actually on the research for middle school. So their time, your time with them is, is so huge. That, the thing is, it's not just to spend time together. It's to open up the door to their heart. Remember how the tree, right? Behaviors and actions versus heart. If, uh, Ezekiel 14.5 says, recapture the heart of the people. That, that was the goal. And that's often what it is with your kids, to recapture their heart, to draw them out. Jesus was the master of that drawing out piece. So don't be a fruit picker. So that's focusing on the upper part of the tree. The under part of the tree, the roots. You wanna be root diggers, not fruit pickers. (laughs) If you need a phrase that will help you from today's lesson, there you go. So remembering that all the stuff they're doing at school, whatever, sports, the most important thing is their spiritual walk. And I don't mean that you demand them to be spiritual. I just mean that's where you keep your heart and your focus more than their schooling and their job and their responsibility. If they do have some form of disability, maybe a learning disability or an emotional disturbance, if they have engaged in drug use or if they're already involved in sexual addiction on the internet if they have a serious mental health challenges, it's going to be important that you're able to look at them as more than that issue. Right? To see them for the who they are, not just the issue. But they belong to God and how does he feel about your child? I love this quote out of Isaiah. Um, it was I,
0: something it, it was I who taught that thing to walk taking
2: them by
1: if I them, I love them words words. If I below, I them He's talking about rebellious Israel here. So remember the Bible is a book on family and parenting. We can look at how God parents. He absolutely we're gonna get there. everybody's like, when are we gonna hit it in the discipline part, Jennifer. He is a God who disciplines. But look at his heart, even in the discipline. So do some regular, consistent. So this is still the power of time. Regular. um, Yeah, here's the power of 20 feet. Stay 20 feet away, 30 in the mall. Um, But if you're going to have time with your kids, make it normal. This is what we do each week. This is what we do each month. Make it regular that they wait. And if you set the time with them and you have to cancel it, you reschedule it. Always. Right? All right. The power of the spoken word, how you talk as a parent, we've kind of hit some of this. If you're going to speak the truth to them, speak it in love, not frustration, not harshness. Uh, this is from the Age of Opportunities, Tripp says, if you fail to speak the truth in love, it will cease to be the truth as the purity of its content becomes corrupted by your frustration, impatience, and anger. So we need to speak the truth to our kids, but we need to do it the way God does, in love, truth in love. So um, on, the, on the spoken word part, it's very overlaps with the time thing. Be in constant conversation, but shift your expectations. They don't want to have long conversations most of the time during these years, right? So Also, make sure you're really encouraging. The scriptures in Hebrew say that we need to be encouraged daily. How often? Daily, Daily. and be specific in how you encourage them. Hey, I noticed this the other day when you were talking with your friends, this interaction you had with that teacher, this way you responded to your coach, how you did with this program you're in. I noticed that. Be specific in your encouragement. And do it wherever you go. Honestly, driving. So there's a difference between face-to-face when you're having the burger and when you're driving down the road or you're sitting next to them when they're playing video games. A conversation shouldn't just happen face-to-face. Or when when they're younger and you're still coming in at bedtime, maybe you do it all through the... I scratched their backs. They were so fun. Till their later teenage years, they wanted me scratching their back and I would sing a song. So I would sing a song and scratch their back They loved that. Now, as they got into later teen years, they were like, that's okay, Mom. (laughs) And that doesn't have to do with, they actually still liked it. So my adult boys have literally mentioned to me, this was so interesting, coming out of one of my kids who doesn't like express this kind of stuff much. Because, I don't know. And he he literally said to me, yeah, I'm going to scratch my... And it came out of the blue. He didn't say, because you did. He just said, That Like the idea of scratching your backs as they go to sleep is so appealing. And I didn't go, yeah, because I did that to you. But I knew where that was from, right? So taking that time, wherever you go, grab the opportunity. It might be when they're defiant, go get the ice cream. When they're bored, engage with them in whatever they're wanting to engage in. When they're frustrated and their tolerance is really low and they're just frustrated and they're just having what you call delayed gratification not getting what they want right away we tend to pull back when they have all of these attitudes but those are actually great opportunities to hug them to sit next to them to go on a drive with them you want to go on a drive? you want to go get a burger? right? so take the opportunities as they come for what you would call constant conversation so that's where it says in Deuteronomy as you walk along the road now it might be as you're driving in the car, <laughs> right? Whatever that is. So I just wanted to point this out. So what I was referring to was Hebrews 3, where he says, first, they have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away and is hardened. But what does he say is the medicine for that hard heart? It's the daily. He says, encourage them daily, right? That's actually what they need, literally. So constant conversation daily, being specific, drawing them out. I've already talked about that, so some of this I'm realizing. So um, right now you're going to practice something. We're going to look at these scenarios and you're going to, this is a very brief practice, but it's, it's important. Um, Out of these situations, you're going to, you're going to listen for one word they say And you're going to listen because you're going to pretend. You're going to do a role play right now with you and the person sitting next to you. It's either your spouse or just a friend. might be two or three of you sitting next to each other, but no more than than three. Um, So when they say, the bus driver yelled at me and everybody laughed, you're going to find one word in that. And you're going to make a statement to show that you understand. Okay? You're not going to draw out yet. All you're actually going to do is reflect and validate. Okay, we practice that the marriage retreat, right? So here's the scenarios. I'd like to punch that kid in the nose. Okay, what well, we might go. You can't, whatever. But instead, you're gonna go. Oh, you want to punch him? You must have been pretty frustrated. So you're just gonna take a word and say say one thing that sounds like you understand. So I'm gonna switch, it's gonna go between that, those and this one, so about a minute in, I'll just switch it so you can see some other choices. So pair up with somebody, and you're, the other person is the teenager, okay? So it doesn't have to be a family member, it can be a total stranger even. You're just doing a role play, and one of you is gonna, so choose now, choose now, Who's going to be the teenager? You're going to switch. You're going to switch midway through, but choose who's going to be the teenager. All right, pick one of the phrases. Now the, per- the so teenager, you pick one of the phrases. The person that's the parent is going to practice paying attention to one word and then say something. Oops, let me go to the one before. Say something validating, something that shows you understand. On your marks, get set, and then I'll say switch. On your marks, get set, go. now do a second one same person as the teenager okay switch so the other person's a teenager this way or however you're comfortable sitting let me ask you and so speak up nice and loud but how was that it was hard it was good it's surprising how hard that is we we practice reflection at the marriage retreat and we practice validation a little bit at the marriage retreat that's my most that's my favorite part of marriage retreats so you're practicing it right now applying it to your kid Right? So consider how powerful that is to just hear and reflect and show understanding, right? Especially when they're being frustrating. So the power of the spoken word. Okay, your favorite part. All right, so the power of discipline. So the big question that we often have is how do I balance being that parent that has empathy and understanding like we just practiced? But And, you know, how do I balance showing grace and staying connected to them but still holding to this st- the tough stuff when it's needed? Like when I need to be the one that holds the line and says no, right? How do we do that balance? Um, oh, this is terrible. So this is actually from the marriage retreat, but that how God knows us intimately So we do want to make sure that we know our kid intimately. He knows our thoughts. He knows when we lie down. His hand is upon us. He created our inmost being. He says, I have summoned you by name. You are mine. You can literally say that about your kids. This child is mine. It's like the best thing ever. So beloved. So these are God's words. We're created by God as his child to be intimately connected to him. So yes, we need to make sure that that's our focus. Use Jesus as the example. He was full of empathy. Yeah. If you've watched the shows, and I just watched the, the, the one that was where um, he stops the whole crowd and says, who touched me? You know, and that's always been one of my favorites about Jesus. He stopped everything. Yeah. We need to stop the world and pay attention to our kid. Stop the world and pay attention to them. He sees a funeral go by and it says his heart went out to her. If you struggle with empathy towards your kid, get some help with that. You can grow in empathy. Maybe you're not a naturally empathetic person. I am not. Maybe you're really, maybe your spouse has a huge deficit in empathy and you're like so frustrated. You as a couple can go get some help with that. Empathy is huge. But maybe it's just not natural to you. It is to Jesus. It is to Jesus. His heart went out to her, which means his guts were moved. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you. Jesus compares himself to what? A hen. So God and Jesus are called and shown to be nurturing like a female. So these huge male examples, we have to get rid of this idea that it's a female thing. It's a God thing to have empathy and understanding. So how's it going, parents? How's your empathy? I'm not going to stay on these because we've spent some time on it. We need to understand the balance between discipline and love. And it's so great because it literally says it in Hebrews. The Lord disciplines those he loves. For some of you, discipline's really hard. You feel like you're unloving. You might need to relearn that discipline is actually a form of love, just like encouraging and taking them out for the burger is. Discipline is an act of love. It should be done in love, not in frustration. Um. So you may be one of those parents that has to redefine and see. Dis- Maybe you didn't experience discipline as love growing up, but the scriptures say that it is. Don't exasperate them. When you do discipline them, don't do it in exasperation. So literally this word exasperate, exasperate means to re- provoke to anger. You're right next to this person and you're just making them ticked. If you're, the way you discipline ends up like that dynamic between you and your teen, it could just be because they're a teenager. But I'd look at yourself first, Right? How are you, are you exasperating? So what the exasperating word means is to rouse someone to anger, to provoke them to push their buttons is literally what it means. Do you provoke them? Do you push their buttons? Like, have, actually ask your spouse these questions. And this is this is spoken to dads. But again, it's a gender specific that applies to both. Mothers, do you exasperate your children? So I would say if you're both here... Ask each other this question later today. How are we doing on that piece? That when we do discipline them, are we doing it from exasperation? And there is, like, people are like, well, you know, God was angry and Jesus was angry. If you're using that as an excuse to be angry, then you have an anger problem. Why was Jesus angry in the temple? It wasn't about him at all. It was about dishonoring God. And then maybe you can morph that and go, well, I am too. My kid's dishonoring God. If you are doing that comparison, then you probably need some help with anger. I'm just going to say it, okay? Anger isn't sin. In your anger, do not sin. Anger itself is not the sin. But what you do with it is man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires in James. So we don't want to exasperate and we don't want to use the wrong kind of I'm ticked at you personally. Right. Bring them up instead. So don't exasperate them. Bring them up instead in the. Like the nurturing of the Lord is the word that it uses in the Greek there. Now remember, who's the nurturer? Both of you. As the parent, it's both of you. Not just mom. Maybe dad is more of a nurturer. And mom's like, I'm just not like that. Actually, the scriptures call you both a nurturer. The word uh, training is used here. Bring them up in the training of the Lord. So this word training actually means a nurturing kind of teaching. It's an instruction where there is warning and admonition and counsel, training and instruction of the Lord, Ephesians says. So we need all of it. We need the nurturing. Often what happens is parents will discipline, but they don't train. They'll say you need to stop being disrespectful, but they don't teach respect. So this is where family times come in, and we're going to end with that in a moment. But having times where you're sitting down and talking about, let me show you from the scriptures what it means to be respectful. And then when you use this tone, that's not respectful. And that's not okay. So that's teaching and training. Not how dare you speak to me like that. That's just frustration. But sitting down, sharing the scriptures and saying, this is not okay. I want to be honest with you. I've done this. I've spoke to your parent, your mom, your dad this way in frustration. I've talked to a boss that way. I have talked to my siblings that way, so I'm sharing with you something I've sinned in a lot. I'm gonna let you know, though, that when you speak like that, it isn't okay, and we will have some consequences to it. So no, disrespect isn't okay, but how you teach and train it, if you're disciplining it but not teaching and training it, you're just gonna end up with frustrated kids. And they're not going to be in love with Jesus because they won't have seen it. So take the time to teach and train. There is, if you're more exasperated, replace it with nurturing. Work on that one hard. So rather than make a personal attack, that's exasperation. How could you? So the personal attack would be, you're such a, how many times do I have to? Those are exasperated phrases. Versus, Hey, can I talk to you about that? Hey, what was happening there that you said that that way? Hey, I heard that tone that you used with your mom, with your dad. I'm not comfortable with that. Let's talk about it. Hey, we have had this conversation a few times. Explain to me what 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 do we need to help you understand that? So an exasperated versus a nurture. A train, a teach. It's not that you don't deal with stuff. It's how you do it. Again, that challenge that you're having with them is an opportunity for growth. It's so interesting because you look at David, right? David's bad example again. He didn't restrain them, right? In First Kings 1, his father had never, what that word means, he didn't interfere with them. You do need to interfere with them. You need to break whatever bad cycles are there. That's appropriate. Restraining and interfering is biblical, right? Again, it's all in how you do it. This word uh, interfere, it is, if you look at all the Bible definitions, it says rebuke, discipline, displease, reprimand, challenge. There is a place for that and David actually didn't do it. And you look at David's history and it didn't go well. We don't want to repeat those bad examples. And there are bad examples in the scriptures, David being one of them. So we do want to restrain, rebuke, appropriately, to interfere. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I don't regret it. Okay, I did regret it, because I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. Discipline should sting. It should lead to sorrow. that leads to repentance. So if you are self-controlled in the choices you make with disciplining, it's going to have a better likelihood of going better. We have to strive for that balance between connection and empathy and love and the vital need to interfere and restrain. Both and, not either or, you may tend towards one. Then you may need to work on the other, right? But it's not an either or. It's a both and. Jesus is that. He sees a woman caught in adultery. And what does he say? I don't condemn you. Leave your life of sin. See, so see both. See the compassion and the understanding and the kindness that we've been talking about. And then he says, You need to stop. He's the perfect example of parenting. And he never had a kid. Yeah, it's huge. Let's imitate him in how we parent. He holds them to it, he will hold us to it. If we don't repent, there are consequences. But he is always speaking the truth in love. Because he wants you and he wants your kid. So, here's some practicals on disciplinary choices. Remove something they like. That child who was still doing stuff in middle school and getting expelled. So we had been Working hard, doing lots of teaching and training. We go to Universal Studios and we go to the store right inside the gate. We're getting ready to go on the rides. And I see my child holding something in their hand. And I realize they've stolen from the store. Now we've been doing so much discipline right now. There was an impulse control. There was a lot behind it. We were getting help at school for the impulse. Get the mental health help, it's helpful but they stole and we've been doing lots of teaching and training, lots of fun times, and there's the object in their hand. We had talked about it ahead of time, not that about going there, but just we were unified in what, how to respond. So we ended up taking turns staying in the car that day with that child. They didn't go. All the three other kids got to do Universal Studios that day. I spent half the day in the car with my child. He spent half the day in the car, <laughs> and they didn't get to go to, dis- to to Universal Studios that day. Be willing. But it was hard on us. That was hard. So if you're going to make a disciplinary choice, and it's going to sting, think about it ahead of time. Make a choice ahead of time. Be unified in it. It's powerful. Right? So there are some practical how-tos. When you're talking to them, you might need to be super radical, So I love this, soft on preferences, like what their hairstyle is, like really, and their clothes. I mean, okay, that's a whole other lesson, but soft on what the the preferences, but hard on things, hard, speaking the truth in love, on disrespect, on deceit and selfishness. Again, root diggers, not fruit pickers, right? And then when you do have conversations, make them short. Don't lecture. It doesn't work. How do you respond to the long, this has been a long morning. (laughs) They say, I have gone way past, because they say your your brain can only handle what your butt can handle. So we're we're well past it. Your kids, your kids keep their conversations short. But then if you do, if you do say ahead of time, this is what you're going to, this is what the consequence is. Hold to it. That doesn't mean there's not a place for mercy and deciding later that that you need to shift the discipline, but it's done carefully, not reactively, not out of guilt. So it's not that mercy can't come into play, but majority of the time, if this is what you say, if you're the parent that backs down, consider it, right? Here are some don'ts. Don't get mad. Get clear, but don't get mad. If you're going to make a disciplinary choice, don't do it when you're angry. Go pray. Go walk. Go get advice. Wait till the next day. Like you don't have to make the choice right then most of the time. You don't want to do it rashly or with you know impulsive disciplinary choices where you're don't. Most things are not going to bring about quick change because in in all honesty, discipline is a little bit more of the fruit picking. But it has its place. In the meantime, you're going to be working on the roots, you know, nurturing, putting in good soil, right? But there is a place for things that are what you would call an outward change. They just have to do it this way. There is a place for that. And that's where discipline can come in. Uh, Proverbs 20 says, it's a trap for a man to dedicate something rashly and only later consider his vows. So if you rashly make a choice for and later, you're like, oh, crap, that wasn't a good idea. Um, he's talking about how he, he found out that his kid wrote this letter that got passed around at school. This is Tripp sharing his own story. And he says, I did not want to be the parent of the kid that wrote that letter, that note. You're in those moments where something happens and you're like, I didn't want to be the kid, the parent of the kid that did that. Right. So just make sure if you're in that place of shame and anger, hold on. Don't make the choice yet. Right. Don't let impatience rule you. Don't have the disciplinary conversation in front of other people. Don't say it in front of the grandparents, in front of friends. You're embarrassed because the kid did something right in front of your ministry leader or your, you know, the person disliked you or your boss, don't do the disciplinary conversation. Don't correct them in front of other people. Pull them aside and have a, pri- come here and have a private conversation, right? Also, don't squeeze that, that corrective conversation into a quick moment, like right as they're walking out the door. It won't work. So set aside the time to have the conversation right? And then when you do use your words of wisdom, including the scriptures, don't use them as a club. (laughs) You're going to get this. Let me give you another one, right? We need to use the scriptures to teach and train our kids, but don't use it as a club as you try to hit them over the head until they get it, right? Well, it doesn't work very well. And if there are natural consequences, like they get kicked out of school. So one of my kids, this was in grade school, did something pretty serious in school and they were gonna suspend. And they called me in and they know me, I was super involved in school, I'm helping with this, helping with that. They called me in and they had decided not to suspend. And I was like, why? And they said, well and then I said, oh heck no, you suspend them. And they're like, okay. Like, don't interfere with their natural consequences. Whether it's big, serious ones like jail or loss of money. We can be loving and supportive, but we can also be unhealthy in the way we're loving and supportive. So watch that one, right? So here's some practicals. This is just super small. Make sure your your consequences are related to the issue. If they... Sp- if they if they were disrespectful so what we did with disrespect was we made a calendar and anytime so one of my kids one of my boys was just it was it was like okay no so we just said each time you're disrespectful we're going to put a dot on that week and if you get to 3 dots then you can't do this so make sure it's a related consequence something that's Um, isn't like totally out of the blue and has nothing to do with what they did, right? Plan it ahead of time. Make sure they know ahead of time as much as possible. That's not always possible. So they're related. They're doable. Like that you as a family can handle it. (laughs) They're reasonable. They're respectful of them. They're swift. They're strong. And they're short-term. Not you're grounded for life. Right? Right. Okay, so let's end with this. The power of family. Serve together as a family. I had the joy of, my kids were in grade school when Pat Gemple came to San Diego and was teaching on Hope. So I didn't yet have teenagers. And I said, I just want to know. I just want to know. Tell me the best way to do it. You know, and she said, she she was in charge of Hope. She was like, get them involved in Hope Youth Corps. All of my kids grew up doing either service in our neighborhood or service in Hope. Um, My my youngest is actually a GSI and just led Hope Ecuador and Hope Lebanon. I mean, and I got to do uh, Hope Ecuador with him. It was really a joy. So serving with, as a family, there's like in San Diego, there's Kids Corps, stuff like that. I live in San Diego. So Tijuana's right there. We've gone and built homes and worked in the orphanages there. Like we've planted trees in San Diego. Serve together as a family. Have dinner together. We actually know from the research that families that have dinner have better everything. Better mental. The kids have better mental health. They've done research following people long term. Is it the dinner? Is it the actual food? No. It's the time. It's the regular time together. Eat a meal together regularly whatever that looks like maybe it's breakfast together as a whole family so x2 right it's such a good check-in time and then have a weekly family time um whatever you call it we called it family night and actually my kids are all in their 20s they do three out of four live in san diego and we have family night every week they come over and it's so fun we've been it's we've been doing it since the day they were born and we're still doing it now and we play games and we talk and we eat now when they were younger we taught and that would be a separate lesson on how we did family nights but we would practice and sing and as they got older we played games you know and so we are a board game family and a card family But as they get older, sometimes you have to do, like, we played this one called The Boss Game, where somebody was in charge that night and got to boss everybody around the whole night. It was so fun. Um, When they got, like, I, this was one of my kids, during family time, so we pulled up all of these podcasts that Douglas Jacoby had made on zombies. It was so fun. Um... So make them fun that they want to be there. That's actually why we shifted to playing games. We actually had this thing where you had to, um, if you saw your sibling do something good or kind, then you'd write about it and stick it in a cup. And then whoever had the most little slips in the paper got to choose the game for the week. So it was just a fun way to both teach them how to be kind to each other. My oldest son, my kids are all competitive. My oldest son, it's my youngest son that kept my name like three weeks in a row, the youngest, kept having the most slips, meaning they were seeing him do kind things, right? My oldest son says, he's doing it on purpose. Yeah, he is. I would recommend you imitate him. So making sure, so that was the yogurt cups. Make sure that you're having this weekly time. If you haven't been doing it and they're already teenagers, you can start doing it. You'll have to talk with them about making it work. But having a weekly time together is huge. Uh, go do an escape room together. Go play laser tag. They're If they're teenagers, they want to often do really cool things. Go paddle boarding. I can tell I live in San Diego. we we'll walk the coast. Go walk a lake. Go geocaching. I mean, there's just really cool, fun things, right? So if you have one takeaway from this, I gave you a lot of information today. And we're going to have a little Q&A. Spend time with each kid individually each week. One takeaway. There's a zillion things you could take. Take that one. All right. We'll have a Q&A for about about 10 minutes. So I've given you lots and lots. And you may just go, I just need the process. All of this. The power of. But... Any questions? Yes. Yeah. Uh
2: huh.
1: In general. Yeah. In general, emotionally, not intellectually. But emotionally, boys will mature later. Um, but that's not every boy. Actually, there are some boys that are just incredibly emotionally mature in their teenage years. So it's not every child. But the research shows that in general, girls do mature more emotionally, and it's not because their DNA is 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 female. It's because our culture supports it more. Boys. Uh, growth in emotional identification. So there's three areas I usually focus on, emotional identification, emotional expression, and emotional management. That ability with what to do with emotions is nurtured in females, in every culture, more than it is for females. So it's not necessarily a brain thing, I don't think. I think that's more of a society thing. So I do think if we're giving space and room, all this constant conversation, talking with our kids, drawing them out, Mine would tell me way more emotionally impacting things when they were falling asleep, when I would scratch their backs. There was something like all those barriers would come down. My um, my One of my kids, just lots of barriers, and just uh, towards his siblings. I'm scratching his back, and out of the blue, he says... You know, and I have to go. I actually wrote it down in the journal. It stood out to me. But we it's late at night. I'm scratching his back. He's falling asleep and out slips. Mom, I think I'm. And he was talking about how he treated his siblings. I have to say, I wanted to jump up and down and go, you are. You need to change it. But there was something about the environment of that slow kind of time together that his emotional awareness had somewhere in me. So I just think... We have to give room, especially societally, to developing boys, so that their emotional development can happen, you know, in a healthy way, so. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, just so you know, this lesson, is the power of parenting, and I geared it towards preteen and teen, but actually about a half of the lesson is taken directly from my younger class. So a big chunk of this would be applied because it applies either way. So time. Shoulder to shoulder. At night when they're um, sharing your own stuff. The reality is... Um, They will be more open when they're younger. Not every kid. Some kids aren't really expressive, even in the grade school years. But often there's an openness during those years that shifts as they hit older. But nurturing that now, so with an understanding that, so when kids are three and four, and we're going to talk about this in sexuality class, they are like, why do you have a penis and you don't have a penis? And they're running around naked and they're watching everybody pee. Why do they stop running around naked at about three or four? Because they start looking around and realizing not everybody else. So it's it's the ability to notice that my thinking isn't the same as everybody else's thinking. That actually grows. Now, they still have all the same sexual questions, but they go underground. They just aren't saying them out loud. So I always teach that when I'm teaching about sexuality. It's true about everything, though. Um, a lot of times what kids are thinking will go underground as they hit like five, six, seven years old because they're aware now of their environment more and their, their social pressures and what people might think, they become aware of that. So they will sometimes even at that age stop being quite so blatantly open. And so that's why having unsettered, unscheduled, no purpose time together is vital. Um, some kids respond face to face Others need the shoulder to shoulder. So, the walking and feeding the ducks, paddle boarding, um, doing the drive is going to work for that five or six year old more than the face to face. Other kids do both. So, that combination of shoulder to shoulder and face to face, we started doing individual times with our kids when they were one. And we did it every week, their whole entire time in our home. So, uh, starting it then is huge. Yeah. Does that answer your question?
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I
1: They are <laughs> don't speak in exasperation. Yeah. <laughs> well then again. <laughs> yeah 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 so often this is where the fears get involved we see that they want to make their hair black and they want a tattoo or a ring or we hear the music that they're listening to, the way they want to do their makeup, the clothes they want to wear, the butt crack showing, whatever. So we'll see their dress and their style and that loud music or rap. And we'll think that's bad, whatever, like the, the type of music and what it represents. Every, it's so interesting. We think it's, you know, society is going down the toilet. If you actually look at the writings from 2000 years ago, they were saying the same things. Like, I'm not even kidding. It's shocking when you find these old papyrus writings with, you know, society's falling apart. I'm sure the creation of the wheel was a real problem. So we can just get wrapped into those kinds of things, like how they dress, how they do their hair, the type of music, I mean, okay. I think we need to pay attention to the content of their music and the content of what they're watching. That's a whole nother talk. But um, when we can, like, that's loud and obnoxious, that's a preference. Um, That clothing looks feminine, that's a preference. That clothing looks masculine. You should wear a dress. That's preference. Now, that's, again, we're going to talk about all that stuff later today, but we can get so zeroed in and it's a fear response often. We're so afraid they're going to this. If they dress like that, that means they're going to become this. If they, now, it doesn't mean that you can't have guidelines in your home about preference, But you just want to make sure you're not making that decision and having that conversation out of that fear of this is what you'll become or this is what will happen to you. So... It's not, I don't have a, this should never be as far as preference, but it's more that the carefulness, the slowness, the draw it out first. Like, tell me about that. What's the draw to emo? Like, why would that draw you? What is it about that? I'm just using one example of a way they might dress and do their makeup, boys and girls. And we, ah! like, tell me about that. What's the draw? What's the pull? There may still be guidelines that you decide as a family, but um but you want to find out what's underneath it first. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and I actually skipped that section by the way. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. 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 And I pay attention to that. Um, the scriptures teach that the home should be a place of calm and peace. it's not going to be a place always of calm and peace. But I think the principle of that is... Um, When it robs your joy, you want to pay attention to that. And if there's ways they're talking to each other that are not okay, then it's not okay. So I actually skipped all of those slides just for time, but there's a section in there that says, what do you think about this phrase, all kids fight? So I literally had it on the slides. all kids fight. We will tend to go, well, all kids fight. And then abdicate teaching good conflict resolution when they use name calling no and you pull that child aside and you study the scriptures hey you know there's this guy that called names to this man and a uh, lion came and ate and I think that's a bad idea but there's actually a lot of scriptures on words Spend time, do your family night for three months on words. Train and teach on how to do conflict resolution. Matthew says, Matthew eighteen says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. So when they come to you, Wah. so have you spoken like don't come to me until you've talked to them. So we started that when they were two and three. That if they came on their own, we said, Oh, I noticed you're by yourself. Well, I try to I think you probably need to have somebody with you Did you talk to them first And then we train We'd use family nights to train How to talk to each other about a problem And then they had to come together Now mind you Did they still fight I say the thing that was the most discouraging to me as a parent Was the way they treated each other um, My two Two of my boys Talk pretty clearly about it, what it was like With their older brother And how he talked to them I cannot tell you how many times we sat and had a conversation about you have a place of power in this family. You're the oldest child, poor thing. I'm throwing him under the bus. You're the oldest child. They all worship you. They love you, even when they're angry with you, and you treat them poorly. And we looked at lots and lots of scriptures over and over and over. And what's really interesting this makes me emotional. He is the best brother. They're in their twenties and he is all over it. He literally said, Mom, my ministry is my siblings. I know. I know. He and his wife, they they have they have sibling night every week. I know. They go on camping trips together. He sees it as his responsibility to help spiritually. And I tell you, I was going to wring his neck. I was so frustrated with him. But I think our seeds are they'll grow. Patiently teach, patiently teach. It's not okay to talk like that to your sibling. And I'm not going to let you talk like that. Patiently teach, do consequences when you need to, and then let God cause the growth. We're planting and we're watering. But God causes the growth, and the word will not come back void. So, yes, we will end on that.
0: So that was just the first part. Um, And so what we're going to do now is we're going to go ahead and, uh, and break for lunch. Uh, we, lunch is provided for you. Um, we'll come back at one o'clock uh, for the second half, um, which is uh, just as important. Um, and uh, so let's 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 also. Oh, well, let me let me touch on this as well. So this evening we're going to be going to Stovehouse, like we did a few weeks ago uh for, for dinner. So if anybody wants to join, maybe you have more questions, you want to fellowship with Jennifer, uh please uh join us at, at Stove House this evening for dinner. Um Jennifer, did you bring the books today or tomorrow? Oh sorry, they're in well, yeah. Well, 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 okay, awesome. So so some of you mentioned that you wanted Jennifer's book. Um she does have them. Uh she did bring them with her. So you can get that uh uh, now or um or tomorrow at, at service, whichever one you choose. But um, let's go ahead and pray for lunch. Heavenly Father, we come to you in prayer. God, just so grateful, grateful, grateful for uh all that you teach us in the scriptures um about parenting. Thank you so much that that Jennifer could do such an excellent job with with mixing uh therapy as well as the Bible. Um, uh, to, to help us with our children, God. I pray that the food we're about to eat will be nourishing and strengthening to our bodies and that we'll be able to have great fellowship uh, while we eat as well. I pray for the second half of, of, of today that uh, it will be just as fruitful as the first. Through your sons that we pray, amen. amen.